After the nine o'clock service, Dan and Wendy Radakovich, a couple in our church, older couple, um, they were in Italy. And so um, Dan, after the service, was like, just want to say we love you and put it over there. And I opened it up. It's the scarf. Beautiful scarf. They're made in Italy. Nice, wonderful scarf. Um, And those of you that know me, I'm a scarf guy. Yes, I accessorize, all right? Not ashamed to admit it. See, see what I'm talking about? Okay. Um, it's beautiful. It's, it smells wonderful and soft. And I don't wear that scarf. And There'll be several moments throughout this year where thinking about that gift and thinking about Dan and Wendy will warm my heart. I have other folks and other gifts that that happens to. I got to make a confession. More times than not, I look at the cross and nothing. Anybody relate? You know what I mean? I, I'm, just, I'm just being honest with y'all, just confessing like, you know, you already know I'm not that spiritual, so I'm not kind of embarrassed to, but I just, why is it that a scarf, a scarf, it's beautiful, it's hot, it's nice, a scarf, hot this year, will warm my heart as I think of that gift, but as a follower of Jesus, why is it that I look at the ultimate gift and nothing, do you know what I mean? As I sing that song, and it's like, oh, Lord, I want it to be true. I want it to be true. How marvelous. How wonderful. And I just sing it, but man, that to just, oh. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? See, I, I, I don't say this to make you feel guilty, because I don't want it to make you feel guilty. I'd be like, don't you struggle with it. No, I'm just putting myself, I'm just saying, it's a struggle for me. It's a struggle for me. And I tell you, it's kind of, it's kind of appropriate for what we're talking about because I'm convinced that the reason why we struggle with this is because what we're going to talk about today. We struggle with this. Let me just throw this out there. We struggle with this because we underestimate the significance of what happened at the cross and we overestimate and overinflate our personal acts of righteousness. Okay? And as long as we continue to underestimate what happens at the cross, we continue to underestimate. And we don't do it intentionally. It's not like we go, well, it doesn't mean anything. We, as long as we continue to underestimate what happened at the cross, and we continue to overestimate what we do and what we don't do, and how that factors in this relationship with God, we will not be blown away by the cross. As long as we continue to think that somehow... Our little wagon of good deeds, you know, get us in good with God so he accepts us. And then when we do bads, we're sort of on the outs with God. As long as we approach God from that point, (sighs) Uh, you know, today's one of those sermons I share with a bunch of people. One of those sermons, it's like the hardest sermons for me to preach because reality is like I could preach a sermon in my sleep, you know. You guys know. I'm going to talk about, if there's one sermon that I feel like just kind of at the core of foundational of what we mean by Christ, you know, with community and Christ. This is it. But it's also the toughest because as I look out, I'm going, 
there's some of you that are going to go, again, he's going to talk about the cross again, the gospel again. You know, I don't mean to do that on purpose, but you might. And secondly, some of you guys will go, I know it up here. 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 I wish I knew it here. I wish I knew it here. I wish I knew it here. We all know what that's like. And then third, flat out, some of us are just going to struggle because honestly, when you think about the Christian life, what I just said, you honestly believe that your approach to God is God, wagon of good deeds, I'm good with you. Wagon of bad deeds, I'm out. And it's just, see, we've been talking about intimacy, intimacy, spiritual intimacy. And we've defined intimacy is, is to be fully known and to be fully accepted without fear of rejection. Do you see why if your whole approach to the Christian life is one of religiosity, like what I just talked, do you see why if you approach God from the perspective of God, when I'm good, you accept me, when I'm bad, you don't, do you see why you will not experience encounter intimacy? Because you will always fear rejection. You will constantly be insecure about where you stand with God. If you believe in your heart of hearts that what you do or don't do factor into this relationship with God and the acceptance of you, you will never, ever stop feeling insecure. How could you? When I'm good, you love me. When I'm bad, you don't. And if that's our approach to God, I am telling you, intimacy will be for other people, you'll think. It'll never be for you. It'll seem foreign I think there are a number of reasons why, even though you hear me, you're like, I know, you know we struggle with this. I thought of three. Well, one is we struggle with this if you're a Christian because we think that the way that some Christians treated us is the way that God treats us. Anybody struggle with this one? Yeah? I, some of us, honestly, and, and, and look, I've struggled with this for years, okay? And depending on how legalistic sort of, you know, your home was or your, some of us come from homes where... Love was totally conditional. You know what that's like. Good Lord. Our parents approach us from perspective. Are you good? Are you performing? Are you achieving? Well, then you're loved. If you're not, we think that's how God treats us. And it's so ingrained in us that emotionally, it's almost impossible to hear sermons like this and go, but, but I, I, I can't get away from this, how, how I was hurt, how I was rejected, how I was received by these people, and how they perceived me and treated me is the way I think about God. Here's another reason. This is huge. Uh, this really resonated with the 9 o'clock service. Secondly, is that we think that somehow the consequences of our sins is a reflection of how God feels about us. Let me explain what I mean. See, some of us are struggling from consequences of our sins. I got to tell you, there are consequences to sins. There are consequences to bad decisions, unwise decisions, immature decisions, selfish decisions that we make. Consequences. For some of us, it may mean getting pregnant. Some of us, it'll mean addiction. Some of us, it'll mean financial loss. I mean, there are a number of consequences. But here's what happens. We think that the consequences of what we're going through, it's painful, right? It's hard. We think because of the consequences, God is judging me. We think because of the consequences, God is punishing me. We think because of the consequences, I'm on the outs with God. Here's a wonderful freeing truth. You ready? Consequences are just that. Consequences, they have no bearing on how God feels about you. They have no bearing on how God feels and responds to you. Are you hearing me? Consequences are just that consequence. Look at the Old Testament. The entire nation of Israel is in exile for crying out loud. Under the captivity of a foreign empire. And how does God respond? He weeps. 
He woos them back. And his love for his people never changes. Some of you guys are sitting here, you're going, God doesn't love me. How could he love me? Look at the consequences. Consequences are just that consequences. Now, real quick, I said this morning, some of us want to go, God, well, why don't you stop me from making those decisions that brought about these consequences? My question to you is, do you really want God to take away from you your freedom to make decisions? No, what we struggle with is we want God to clean up the mess that we freely make without taking from us the ability to freely make those bad decisions. Here's a third reason. An emotional wall goes up. What do I mean? And anybody relate to this? You know, I, with, with my wife, for example. Like, when I mess up, I just sense this thing inside where there's like an emotional wall that goes up between us. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you just see it in their eyes. You know, you've hurt them. You've disappointed them. Emotional wall. Now, here's the thing. It creates this barrier between us, right? It creates this barrier, this emotional wall. And I feel a sense of distance. And, I'm kind of, and depending on how bad the offense was, it may last days or weeks or months. And some of you, some of you, some of you, your family members, friends, that emotional wall has been up for years. And you're trying to go, how do we break but emotional wall? And here's the thing. We think the same thing happens with God. We think that when we do something wrong, an emotional wall goes up between not just us, but also with God. God. We think that emo- here's the thing, though. The reason why we feel that, the reason why I feel that, and I've said this to my wife, is when that emotional wall, she's like, no, there wasn't an emotional wall. I'm like, even an emotional wall went inside of me because of what I. And we think sometimes with God, here's what happens an emotional wall goes up inside of us. And we conclude, God, you have an emotional wall too, right? So I'm just going to wait. How many of <laughs> How many of us, when we messed up, you know what I used to do when I was, like, when I, I was going to say when I was younger, I was going to say, like, like last year or, like, last week. Um, you know what I used to do when I really messed up? I literally said to myself, God needs a cooling off period. So I'm just going to leave him alone. Come on, be honest. Is any, am I the only one that feels this? Say amen if you know what I'm talking about. You know, yeah, I'm like, God, you need a cooling off period. Why? Because I'm going, you got that emotional wall, so I'm just going to let you be until the emotional. There's no emotional wall that goes up inside of God. It went up inside of us. God says, my love for you never changes. My feelings for you never changes, never wavers. One iota. And yet we go, I hear the reason why we do this. I'm going to put this up here. It's the whole sermon. It's because we overestimate or underestimate the significance of what happened at the cross. And we overestimate the significance of our personal acts of righteousness. Because we, over, we underestimate the impact, the, the, the powerful truth of what happened at the cross when the Son of God, when the Son of God is dying, carrying the sins of the entire world. Because we underestimate that. We overinflate what we need to do to be in this relationship with God. We continue, not just when we get saved, but every day after. We continue to relate to God sort of on this, from this perspective of God. What I do good, you're good with me. And when I do bad, you're sort of on out. And I'm just going to leave. And the intimacy that we are allowed to experience with God is foreign to us. Now, I'll tell you a couple other things, too. Do you know why this is important? This, this morning, Erica came up and shared about immigration team. And there are amazing ministries going on in the life of our church where we are telling you guys all the time, churches outside these four walls. You will not, however, have the power motivation to make a difference in the world for Christ if you do not understand this fundamental truth of who you are in Christ. Do you hear me? 
You will also not be able to engage in healthy community with other people. The second C of our church. Healthy community with other people. Because unless you find this deep acceptance and security in the Father and what he has done through Christ, you cannot and you will not be able to relate to people in a healthy way. Singles and married couples, listen to me. If you're looking for that person, that spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, to meet all of your needs, you are setting yourself up for massive disappointment because no human being will ever meet that need. Never. Never. So what's the best way to engage in healthy relationships? To know that you are fully known, fully accepted without any fear. Intimacy. Intimacy with God. Than intimacy with others. We're going to look at a passage today, you guys. That that that, that from for for if you've been around new community, I mean, we we've 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 gone through this, this passage, we've looked at it, and and I've addressed it, and in in various forms in different sermon series. But we're going to just park ourselves on these three four verses, okay? This three through four verses, and I'm I've just I just was back there just praying during worship because I'm going, God, I'm, I'm just, I can only talk. Like there's nothing more I can do. I could just talk, but God for. For this to get from here to here for all of us, here to here, this, this 10-inch, 12-inch distance, this has to be the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So I've just been like, Lord, you need to do it today, as always, but you need to do it particularly today. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, intimacy with God. Let's look at this passage together, shall we? First Second Corinthians 5, 17. Pastor Michael, will you do me a huge favor, sir? I thought I brought up a... Oh, thank you. Um... You guys, let's read this together, okay? We'll do this kind of group exercising this morning, okay? And I'll kind of abruptly stop or where I want to stop, but let's go and read this together. Here we go. Verse, uh, second, five, verse 17. Ready? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and, and this morning, if you've been coming to our church, imagine Tupperware right here, right, with us and Christ. And so we talk a lot about this in Christ, okay? In the uh, Thank you. Thank you. And, and, and it's Paul's favorite way, if you read all the New Testament, it's Paul's favorite way when he says in Christ, of saying that we, we, are, we, are, we are saved through, through faith by grace. We have repented and believed in the life, work, and death of Jesus Christ. So it's those who belong to Christ. In Christ, okay? If anyone is in Christ, you're a Christian, he says, he is a new creation. The old, everybody together, has gone. The new has come. Now, here's the thing. We totally misread or misunderstand that verse, what we just read right there. Here's what I mean. And that's why we underestimate what happened at the cross. We read that as if we're going, if anyone is Christ, he will be a new creation. What do I mean? Many of us think of becoming a Christian primarily as believing the right things and behaving the right way. Let me say that again. We think of becoming a Christian as believing the right things and, and, and behaving the right way. So it's, you know, I want to be a Christian. I'm going to be a Christian. And becoming a Christian is believing the right set of things and then, and then cleaning up my act and doing X, Y, and Z. And, and we call that in our church moral reformation. Now, here's the thing. That has nothing to do with what Paul's talking about here. Paul is not talking about what you do, what I do. He's not talking about behavior. He's not talking about our beliefs. What he's saying here, when you become a Christian... It's not moral reformation. We say this in our church. It's total transformation. What Paul's saying is when you become a Christian, a fundamental transformation happens at the core of your being, man. Okay? And you have nothing to do with it. I have nothing to do with it. It's what God does. He changes us and transforms us at the core of our being in such a way that we are made new, transformed. Now, here's the thing. The struggle is, if you were here for last fall, we... 
or spring, we talked about this. It takes a little bit, doesn't it? For the, for the radical nature of that transformation changes to manifest itself in behavior. Right? And it takes a little bit for the radical change and transformation to manifest itself in, in, in believing right with, rightly too even. Right? I mean, it takes a little bit. And, and the theologians and scholars call that sanctification. The process in which our belief system and our behavior Okay? In conform, becoming more like Christ. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit and it's the part that we play. Here's the thing though. What Paul says here at the moment of conversion, when he makes you new, has nothing to do with what you do. Has nothing to do with what I do. Now I know that hasn't quite sunk in yet. It's gonna, as, as we go with the rest of the verse. But you gotta ask the question like, Peter, what the heck happened to us that you could definitively say that? I actually was thinking about asking a volunteer. Uh, we're gonna look at a word that's very popular and I, I, I love preaching about this in our church. It's the word palingenesia. Palingenesia, okay? Everybody say palingenesia. Palingen- what is palingenesia, you ask? And how can you be so definitive that that's what I... Because you, you, do you know what happened to you when you became a Christian? That word appears twice. First is uh, Matthew chapter uh, 19. Look at, look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, truly I tell you, at the renewal, palingenesia, of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. And if you're just joining up for the first time, you know, this is real quick review. The word is renewal or rebirth. And, and what, 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 what the Greeks believed at the time, it's a philosophical word, what the Greeks believed at the time was that the entire world, the entire world would, would progressively get worse and worse, more evil and more wicked. And so once in a while, the entire universe would go through a process of purging, refining, purifying. Through, through fire. And because they believed that history was cyclic on that linear, they believed that this would happen every so once in a while when things got bad enough, right? Fire would come and it would just renew and restore and cleanse everything. Now, Jesus takes this concept that's very, very well known in that time. And he says, there's coming a time, not over and over again, once and for all, when the renewing, restoring, healing fire of God will come and renew and restore all things. Once and for all. When is that? When the Son of Man sits on the throne. When the kingdom of God comes fully manifested. When the kingdom rule and reign of God and the power of the Holy Spirit comes in, the entire universe will be made renew and reborn. That's good news, yes? Yes? Is that good news? Isn't that why many of us come to this church and are part of active, involved in areas of justice? Because we actually believe that salvation is not about us going to heaven only, but that it's about the entire world being purified and cleansed of evil and justice? Yes? Now, here's the thing. There's one other time where that word appears. Where is that? Titus chapter 3. Check this out. Titus chapter 3. He saved us, Christ, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal. There's a word by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, the Lord. What is this verse saying? This verse saying, here's what happened when you gave your life to Christ in the moment of conversion. The entire, the the, the power, the fire, the renewing, the restoring, the healing move of God, the fire of God, the spirit of God that is one day going to come and change and heal everything at the moment of conversion. That power, that renewing power, that renewing spirit of God, that restoring healing move of God came into where? Into us. (laughs) This is why I was praying back there. Because I'm like, Lord, into us, into us, into us. Is that good news? 
That's amazing news. This is the reason why Paul could say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Do you think the old you had any chance of standing against the healing, restoring, renewing, cosmically renewing power of God that came into your life? Hello? But man, this is hard for us to believe. That's why you're cynical. Some of y'all are cynical. You're actually sitting there going, not even God can change me. Not even God could change you? Not even the cosmic universe changing healing power of God came into you and me. Not even God can change you. See, this is the reason why I could definitively and confidently stand up here and say to somebody who's feeling there, sitting there going, Peter, I'm damaged goods. I was abused. I was abused. I'm damaged goods. And you're sitting there going, I'm just beyond repair. I could, with confidence, look you in the eyes and go, God could not disagree with you more. That there is nothing, there is nothing that's happened to you, that's happened to me, that's beyond the healing power of the king. You know what it also does? It also gives us hope. Is anybody here struggling with the thought of, God, am I ever going to change and get better? <laughs> yeah. Byron, I saw your hand go way up real quick. Do you, know, do you know why you and I could have hope that even though we're stuck in the same sin, seems like, you know, we do the same thing and we struggle with the same. Do you know why you and I could have hope that we actually have the ability to become righteous, holy like Jesus? Do you know why? Not because we're good, not because we're moral strong. Do you know what the Bible says? Listen to this. First Peter chapter 2. Here's how the Bible pictures spiritual growth. See, read this with me. Ready? Verse 2. You grow up in your salvation. Do you know what that means? That means that holiness, righteousness, that means purity. That's not stuff that's just kind of out there, some foreign thing out there, and you go, well, I wish I had some of that to come into my life. The Bible says holiness, righteousness, purity, Christ-likeness, all the characters, the attributes of who Christ is and who God is, that was deposited in you, in me, in spiritual DNA form at the moment of salvation. That means that the, the, the ability to grow into righteousness and grow into holiness and growing into Christ-likeness, it, it's, it's like a 12-year-old kid, 12-year-old kid with size 14 feet. You're sitting there going, boy, he looks a little awkward. But what do we say? We go, he's going to eventually what? Grow into them. He's got everything in him to grow. Jesus Christ looks at you and looks at me, and he goes, I already know how this is going to end. How do you know, Jesus? I'm a mess. He goes, in you is righteousness. In you is holiness. In you is perfection. In not just potential, in seed DNA form. In you. Is that good news? That's hopeful. Amen. For some of us sitting here going, I am so far from being holy. I am so far from being righteous. I am so far from being pure. Jesus Christ goes, guess what I did? It's all in you. It's all in you. That's why Peter could say, his divine power has given us, say this with me, ready? Everything. Come on, Luke. He has given us what? Everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Next verse. He, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, God actually saying, you may participate in divine nature. Do you know what that's saying? That's saying you can be like God. 
divine nature and escape the corruption and the evil caused uh, in the world caused by evil desires. That's how the Bible doesn't look at you and goes, hey, hey, when are you going to grow up and be the real you? That's what the Bible says. Why? At the moment of salvation, palingenesia, the old gone, the new come, you are right now in creation. Now, why is that important? Well, listen to what Paul says. Verse 18. All this, he says, all this is from God. Is that good news? Is that good news? <laughs> All this of making us new, transforming us, all gone, new come. All this is from God. Are you in here? <laughs> Are you and me in here? Do we have a part? What's our part? What's our part in this work? What's our part? What's our part? Well, I pray that prayer. Well, I was sort of sincere. What's our part? We're not in there. All this is from, say with me, from God. To which God's people can say, amen. All this is from God. When he changes at the fundamental core of our being, you and I don't do anything. We become somebody, something we weren't before. And it's, say with me, all God. Is that good news? I'll tell you why that's good news. We're going to continue to look at it. Who reconciled us. Who reconciled us. And the word reconcile, it literally means to make congruous or to make compatible. Okay? To make congruous or to make compatible. So Paul is saying at one time we weren't compatible or congruous with God. And we're going to look at that in a moment. But the best analogy that I could use was this. When Jenny and I first got married, we quickly realized that I wasn't very, well, I, I tend to lose things. I tend to forget things. And, and, and when it came to like keeping up my checkbook and finances, I was a hot mess. You know what I mean? Like I would write checks, not remember what I wrote them for and all that stuff. So Jenny would have this difficult task every, at the end of the month, of taking our checkbook and then getting the bank statement, right? And what would she do? She would go through them, right? And go, well, that's where you wrote the check. And once she was done, once she was done checking through both of them, she would go, hey, Peter, they're reconciled. What do you mean? What the bank says, what our checkbook says, are congruous. They fit. They're reconciled. They're reconciled. Now here's the thing. Who needed the reconciling? Us. Very good. So important. Who reconciled us, he says, to himself. Who needed the reconciling, guys? We are not the point of reference. Let me say it again. We are not the point of reference. Let me say it again. We are not the point of reference. One last time. We are not the point of reference. But we live our lives as if we are the point of reference. Yes? We live our lives as if we are the point of reference. We live our lives as if, God, I need, to revolve, I need you to revolve on me. God, I need you to bend to my will. God, I need you to bend to my agenda. God, I need you to come and conform to me. And I'll tell you why we struggle with that. We call it lordship. The reason why we struggle in our day, every day, with the whole God, I'm not the point of reference. You are the point of reference. I come and bend around you. is because we don't realize that from the very beginning, we were not the point of reference. In the very beginning, we were not the point of reference. God had to make us congruous. Make us Make us congruous with him. Why? Here's what scripture says. God is holy. We are not. God is righteous. We are not. God is perfect. 
we are not. So this, what I'm about to say, so if a holy, perfect, righteous God is going to be in intimate relationship with an unholy, unrighteous, imperfect, sinful human being, somehow God had to make us holy, make us righteous, make us perfect so that we would be reconciled, congruous. If God didn't do that, and God said, for us to be reconciled, you got to believe the right things. For us to be reconciled, you got to behave the right way. What would happen to us? What would happen to us? We'd be a mess. We'd be a mess. We'd be a mess. We'd be a mess. Because I don't know about you, but you know what? Monday, I might be somewhat righteous. By Tuesday, forget about it. Wednesday, I might be a little bit of holy. Thursday, forget about it. Anybody relate what I'm talking about? I am the poster child for inconsistency. Hello? I am the poster child for inconsistent Christian behavior. And if it was up to my behavior to be made right with God, I'd be in trouble. And God knowing that I said, it's not about your belief system. It's not about your behavior. I'm going to flat out make you compatible. Okay, some are getting it now. I'm going to make you compatible. I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to make you righteous. I'm going to make you perfect. All God. <laughs> Let me say it again. If you think you've been right with God, is how you behave, how you act. Let's just check. Let's just, I mean, we can check out right now. But God says, at the moment of salvation, (laughs) I so fundamentally change you internally because you are so inconsistent externally that from now on until evermore, you never ever have to worry about whether you are congruous, compatible, and reconciled to me. Period. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You guys, do you know what would happen to us if we believe that truth? We will stop coming to God with our little wagon of good deeds, little wagon of what we've done, and go, God, and I'm a little more acceptable, and I a little bit more lovable, and I a little bit more in, because God would go, I had nothing to do with you. I had nothing to do with you. All God. I, what? It's amazing to me. Isn't it amazing to you? When we sing, how marvelous, how wonderful is my say, this is what we're singing about. Why would it be a marvelous? Why would it be amazing if it was, I believe the right thing, so we're in now, right? What would be marvelous? What would be amazing if it's, I behave the right way, so we're in now? It's marvelous. It's amazing because we were like, didn't do anything. God goes, I know. I did it all. Oh, man. I am telling you guys, if that would just go from here to here. (laughs) That's why I, 
with total confidence, I could look at this row right here and go, if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, when God looks at you right now, he doesn't see sin. He doesn't see sin. He literally goes, I don't see sin in that man. I don't see sin in that woman. He goes, come on now. Well, I'll show you. Listen to what Paul says. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. And the word counting is an actual counting. Any accountants here? Any accountants? Any accountants? Yes, yes, we have some. It's an accounting term. And literally what Paul is saying is, look, God no longer calculates your sins against you. Paul is saying God is so reconciled, major compatible, major congruous, that God doesn't hold what you've done, what you're going to do, what you're going to do, what you've done, what you're doing, now what you're going to do. God doesn't hold your sins against you. Sin doesn't come up in the conversation when God sits down to have a conversation with you. You're going, really? Yeah. Because you know who masters, who masters that? Satan does. Satan constantly brings up sin with God. Do you know that? Satan's up there right now going, hey, did you see that? God, did you see that? Did you see that? You know what God says? God says, I don't count his sins against him anymore. Dealt with on the cross. Satan goes, ha, God, 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 look, look. They keep doing it over and over and over and over. At some point, you're just going to be like, that's enough. You know what God says? On the cross. Dealt with once and for all. Anybody here struggling with the whole again and again and again and again, same sin, same sins? Do you know what you need to hear? God would say this to you. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? That is, who's going to hold your sins against you? It's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul was saying, you and God are so tight, so congruous, so, so, so reconciled that no sin could ever slip between you and God. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It doesn't matter what you plan to do. It doesn't matter what. It's like, God says, nothing can separate from the love of God. Is that good news? If you sit there going, well, it sounds like, man, it sounds like you're talking about cheap grace. It sounds like, it sounds like you're saying God doesn't take sin seriously. God doesn't take sin seriously. God takes your sins and my sins so seriously that he did this. He did this because he takes our sins so seriously. This isn't cheap grace. This isn't what God loves, no matter what you do. God says, I care so much about your sins and my sins that I pay the ultimate sacrifice. And Paul says, nothing can separate you. Do you believe that? I know. Some of us are like, but what about? We always have the, but what about? But what about? We all have buts and we all have whatabouts. Nothing can separate you. I'm telling you guys, what if that ever got from there to there? And look how Paul ends. Verse 19. He is, by the way, by the way, can I just tell you? You know who especially needs to just dig into this verse is those of us that sit here and we're believing the lie that says because we're struggling with the consequences of what we've done, God doesn't love me anymore. If you're sitting here this morning saying because of the consequences and what I'm experiencing, how can God love me? How can God love me? Nothing on earth 
And then look at the way this verse ends. It just, I mean, it emotionally just kind of gets to me every time. Verse 19, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And then what Paul says in verse 21, like I said, it just, for me, it's one of those things. I, I, I've memorized it. I've known it. And I preach on it. And yet I go, God, one of these days, it's going to just make Makes sense, not just in my head, but in my heart. Verse 21. And that God made him who had no... Can we all read that together? Verse 21, ready? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. You sit there going, well, well, so what, what, God just forget about our sin? What did God do with our sins? So they, what did God do to sin? If God doesn't hold our sins against us, if God doesn't count our sins against us, what did God do? Who did he hold it against? Who did he count it against? Jesus Christ. God takes my past, present, future sins. And God goes, in Christ, never going to be brought up. How is that possible? He says, I took all of that. And I poured it on my son. That in itself is pretty amazing. Yes? That in itself going, so I am forever free from condemnation and guilt and punishment. But you know what? It doesn't end there. There's another part that God does, which is what? So that we might become the righteousness of Christ. That is to say, God takes our, Jesus takes our sin, our unrighteousness, our unholiness, our impurity, and in exchange on the cross, we, we get his righteousness. We get his holiness. We get the perfect life that lived. We get everything that Jesus Christ has done so that the Bible says we are made righteous, just, holy, pure in God's sight. So that when God today, right now, not tomorrow if you do better, right now, he, if you're in Christ, he looks at you and he goes, there's no sin in that man. But I don't feel it. Not the issue. God says, there's no sin in that woman. Holy, righteous, perfect. Otherwise, we couldn't be reconciled. What if this truth ever got from here to here? Say this with me. I am the righteousness of of Christ. Say it again. I am the righteousness of Christ. Say it one more time. I am the righteousness of Christ. Do you believe it? I am the righteousness of Christ. But what about I don't, not the issue. All God settled on the cross so that perfection, righteousness, and holiness is given to us as a gift. So that when God the Father sees you right now, he says, today, at this moment, perfect, righteous, holy, pure. You know what the amazing thing is more than? I'm not in there. You're not in there. There's no might. There's no effort. There's no I do this. There's no I jump through the hoops. There's, there's nothing in there about us. And that is wonderful news of the gospel. It's Jesus Christ from the beginning to the very end. That's why Paul could say in Romans chapter 8, 
for I am convinced that neither Let's all say this together. Ready? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in all creation. So in case you go, but what about? What about? There's got to be like one exception. I want to leave you. Are, you. are you part of creation? Are you a part of creation? I hope so. If you're a part of creation, the Bible says there's nothing in what? All creation that can separate you. This is just so hard for us to believe. You know why? Because we never experience this in this world, like ever. <laughs> Amen. We're just so foreign to us. We're sitting here going, you're talking about like some foreign concept, man. I have nothing to deny. What? Nothing can separate from the love of. Like all I've known is everything I do is separating me from the love of. And this even includes our relationship with Christ. See, I, I share this this morning. Many of you have sort of are nodding and going, yeah, you know, I believe that, Peter. I'm about grace. I know about the gospel. Really? Then why do those voices haunt you? Oh, I, better, I better explain. Um, do, you, do you remember when you first became a Christian and, or you're doing well? You're like, Lord, I'm on fire for you. I'm going to live for you. And we're sort of feeling this acceptance and we're good with the Lord. And then like a few days later, it's like, oh, there I go. Oh, there I go. Oh, there I go. Do you remember? Do you remember? Now, here's the thing. So we began this going, I'm accepted unconditionally by you. And so when, when those thoughts and voices, by the way, the Satan coming and going, you call yourself a Christian. It's been like four years. Are you still struggling with that? Or, or, or how can you possibly expect God to love you when you do that? And we don't go, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I am a new creation. I am the righteousness of God. Get the heck out of here. We don't do that. Those voices haunt us. That voice haunts us and you go, why? You don't really believe that you are totally and utterly accepted by grace and grace alone. Do you know why? I wanted to preach this message today before we move on. And the rest of this series, we're going to get real practical. I'll tell you why. This season of Lent. The first step towards restoring my relationship with people that I love is when I've done wrong, I need to ask for what? Forgiveness. By the way, that a lot of times take care of that emotional wall that's in me. As we begin this season of Lent, as we talk about intimacy with God, We need to begin there. But here's the thing. Everything that I talked about today is critical for this reason. If you do not understand the truth of the gospel, and many of us who grew up in church, we do this. We will repent and confess so that God will love us more, so that God would. (laughs) I used to go, God, I need to repent my sins. Because if I do, I picture God going, I'm going to give him a good sermon this Sunday. What the heck is that? Like, we honestly think, like, if I repent and confess and get it right with God, my job will go away. Really. No, 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 no. It has nothing to do with what we get from God. We repent and confess because we want the relationship that's been broken to be restored with the one that we love. 
But if you do not understand the gospel, it's going to be guilt, shame, and manipulation that you're going to pursue God with, which is going to destroy intimacy. I was in San Diego this past weekend, or last week. When I'm in California, Cece, you can, you can go on up and get ready. When, I, when I'm in California, um, one of the things I, I like have to do is I like have to get in and out burgers before I come home. Uh, if you're... Ex- yeah, if you were expecting something really spiritual and like deep, this isn't all that deep and spiritual, okay? Like I wanted some In-N-Out burgers, right? And so I planned out my week and I realized that this one evening was like the last time I would have the chance, right? Unless I wanted to be like one of those guys that would like wait outside the door for them to open and actually like eat it or take it to the airport with me, which I wasn't going to do. So I was there one night and I had a great dinner, great dinner with some folks and I was full. But man, it was like nine o'clock and I'm like, I need to get me some In-N-Out burgers, Number one, double-double, right, with fries and Coke. And, and as is my custom, you know, I got in my car, had the GPS, and doop, it was like five minutes away, right off of five in San Diego. And I'm going, and I'm just so excited. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling you guys this story. I told like at the 9 o'clock, and I didn't feel as dumb, but I'm feeling really dumb as I'm telling this story now. So, but it's too late. I can't like pull back. I got to keep going. Okay. So I, you know, I, so I, I off the exit, and I'm not like the best with directions. I'm going, you know, it's at, like at 9.30 at night, so I can't really see. And I see, you know, the in and out very sign. And so I'm like, oh, there it is. And, and following my GPS and looking and paying attention, you know, and there's a GPS talks to you. So in a quarter mile, take a right turn. At the light, take a left, right? So I'm going, and what, 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 what do you think happened? I right by it, right? Because I'm going to miss the exit and just, and it's amazing because as soon as I did that, what does that little GPS thing do? I tell you what it doesn't do. And it just happened like a hundred times, so I'm used to it now. It doesn't go again. It doesn't go Seriously? Like, this is the hundredth time, man. It simply said this. It simply said, recalculating route when safe to do so, make a U-turn. There's no lecture. There's no, I'm going to hold these last six months over you. There's no, I'm so angry right now at you that I just, Nothing. Do you know why that's so powerful to me? me? It may not speak to you. Do you know why that's so powerful to me? Because when that happened, and I knew I was preaching on this, when that happened, it was like the moment was like grace. That's grace. That's grace. That's grace. That's what grace is. Grace is those who are in Christ, when we mess up and we do all the time, when we fall, when we just jack things up, relationships, when we just, oh, in the pit of our sin, and we do all this stuff. Grace says, recalculating route, when safe to do so, stop. Go the other way. Grace is not, I've got an hour-long lecture to show you. The grace is not, hundredth time, hundred one, we're done. Grace is not, I'm going to make you feel so bad because of what you did. Grace is God going, you sorry? I hear you. Time to go the other way. Let's start over. 
what if some of you sitting in here, you've been away from God, and the last time you confessed and repented, you can't even remember. And because you're like, my sins have added up, and my sins have added up, my sins have added up. Like, it's like, no point. What's the point of going to God? And you got this massive monumental thing that you think about what confession and repentance is. What if I simply told you, this season of Lent begins today with you going, God, I jacked up. I messed up. I'm sorry. Is there hope for me? You already know the answer to that. 